Chapter 21 of The Brethren by H. Ryder Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Alroy. What befell Godwin? At the village of Betir, some seven miles from Jerusalem, the embassy dismounted to rest. Then again they pressed forward down the valley in the hope of reaching the Zion Gate before the midday heat was upon them. At the end of this valley swelled the shoulder of a hill, whence the eye could command its length, and on the crest of that shoulder appeared suddenly a man and a woman, seated on beautiful horses. The company halted, fearing lest these might herald some attack, and that the woman was a man disguised to deceive them. While they waited thus irresolute, the pair upon the hill turned their horses' heads, and, notwithstanding its steepness, began to gallop towards them very swiftly. Wolf looked at them curiously and said to Godwin, Now I am put in mind of a certain ride which once we took outside the walls of Beirut. Almost could I think that yonder Arab was he who sat behind my saddle, and yonder woman she who rode with you, and that those two horses were flame and smoke reborn. Note their whirlwind pace, and strength, and stride. Almost as he finished speaking, the strangers pulled up their steeds in front of the company, to whom the man bowed his salutations. Then Godwin saw his face, and knew him at once as the old Arab called Son of the Sand, who had given them the horses flame and smoke. Sir, said the Arab to the leader of the embassy, I have come to ask a favour of yonder knights who travel with you, which I think that they, who have ridden my horses, will not refuse me. This woman, and he pointed to the closely veiled shape of his companion, is a relative of mine, whom I desire to deliver to friends in Jerusalem, but dare not do so myself, because the hill-dwellers between here and there are hostile to my tribe. She is of the Christian faith, and no spy, but cannot speak your language. Within the south gate she will be met by her relatives. I have spoken. Let the knights settle it, said the commander, shrugging his shoulders impatiently and spurring his horse. Surely we will take her, said Godwin. Though what we shall do with her if her friends are wanting, I do not know. Come, lady, ride between us. She turned her head to the Arab as though in question, and he repeated the words, whereon she fell into the place that was shown to her between and a little behind the brethren. Perhaps, went on the Arab to Godwin, by now you have learnt more of our tongue than you knew when we met in past days at Beirut and rode the mountainside on the good horse's flame and smoke. Still, if so, I pray you of your knightly courtesy, disturb not this woman with your words, nor ask her to unveil her face, since such is not the custom of her people. It is but an hour's journey to the city gate, during which you will be troubled with her. This is the payment that I ask of you for the two good horses, which, as I am told, bore you none so ill upon the narrow way 
and across plain and mountain when you fled from Sinan, also on the evil day of Hatin, when you unhorsed Salahedin and slew Hassan. It shall be as you wish, said Godwin, and son of the sand, we thank you for those horses. Good, when you want more, let it be known in the marketplaces that you seek me. And he began to turn his horse's head. Stay, said Godwin. What do you know of Masuda, your niece? Is she with you? Nay, answered the Arab in a low voice. But she bade me be in a certain garden of which you have heard near Ascalon at an appointed hour to take her away as she is leaving the camp of Salahidin. So thither I go. Farewell. Then with a reverence to the veiled lady, he shook his reins and departed like an arrow by the road along which they had come. Godwin gave a sigh of relief. If Masuda had appointed to meet her uncle the Arab, at least she must be safe. So it was no voice of hers which seemed to whisper his name in the darkness of the night when terror had hold of him. Terror born perhaps of all that he had endured and the shadow of death through which he had so lately passed. Then he looked up to find Wolf staring back at the woman behind him and reproved him, saying that he must keep to the spirit of the bargain as well as to the letter, and that if he might not speak he must not look either. That is a pity, answered Wolf, for though she is so tied up, she must be a tall and noble lady by the way she sits her horse. The horse too is noble, own cousin or brother to smoke, I think. Perhaps she will sell it when we get to Jerusalem. Then they rode on, and because they thought their honour in it, neither spoke nor looked more at the companion of this adventure. Though had they known it, she looked hard enough at them. At length they reached the gate of Jerusalem, which was crowded with folk awaiting the return of their ambassadors. They all passed through, and the embassy was escorted thence by the chief people, most of the multitude following them to know if they brought peace or war. Now Godwin and Wolf stared at each other, wondering whether they were to go and where to find the relatives of their veiled companion, of whom they saw nothing. Out of the street opened an archway, and beyond this archway was a garden which seemed to be deserted. They rode into it to take counsel, and their companion followed, but, as always, a little behind them. Jerusalem is reached, and we must speak to her now, said Wolf, if only to ask her whether she wishes to be taken. Godwin nodded, and they wheeled their horses around. Lady, he said in Arabic, we have fulfilled our charge. Be pleased to tell us where are those kindred of whom we must lead you. Here, answered a soft voice. They stared about the deserted garden in which stones and sacks of earth had been stored ready for a siege, and finding no one said, We do not see them. Then the lady let slip her cloak, though not her veil, revealing the robe beneath. By St. Peter, 
said Godwin. I know the embroidery on that dress. Masuda, say, is it you, Masuda? As he spoke, the veil fell also, and lo, before them was a woman like to Masuda, and yet not Masuda. The hair was dressed like hers, the ornaments and the necklace made of the claws of the lion, which Godwin killed, were hers. The skin was of the same rich hue. There even was the tiny mole upon her cheek. But as the head was bent, they could not see her eyes. Suddenly, with a little moan, she lifted it and looked at them. Rosamond! It is Rosamond herself! gasped Wolf. Rosamond disguised as Masuda! And he fell rather than leaped from his saddle and ran to her, murmuring, God, I thank thee. Now she seemed to faint and slid from her horse into his arms and lay there a moment while Godwin turned aside his head. Yes, said Rosamond, freeing herself. It is I and no other. Yet I rode with you all this way and neither of you knew me. Have we eyes that can pierce veils and woolen garments? asked Wolf indignantly. But Godwin said in a strange, strained voice, You are Rosamond disguised as Masuda. Who then was that woman to whom I bade farewell before Saladin while the headsman awaited me? A veiled woman who wore the robes and gems of Rosamond? I know not, Godwin, she answered unless it were Masuda clad in my garments as I left her. Nor do I know anything of the story of the headsman who awaited you. I thought, I thought it was for Wolf that he waited. Oh, heaven, I thought that. Tell us your tale, answered Godwin hoarsely. It is short, she answered. After the casting of the lot, of which I shall dream till my death day, I fainted. When I found my senses again, I thought that I must be mad, for there before me stood a woman dressed in my garments, whose face seemed like my face, yet not the same. Have no fear, she said, I am a suitor, who amongst many other things have learned how to play a part. Listen, there is no time to lose. I have been ordered to leave the camp. Even now my uncle the Arab awaits without, with two swift horses. You, princess, will leave in my place. Look, you wear my robes and my face, almost, and are of my height, and the man who guides you will know no difference. I have seen to that, for although a soldier of Salahidin, he is of my tribe. I will go with you to the door, and there bid you farewell before the eunuchs and the guards, with weeping. And who will guess that Masuda is the princess of Baalbek? and that the princess of Baalbek is Masuda? And whither shall I go? I asked. My uncle, son of the sand, will give you over to the embassy which rides to Jerusalem, or failing that, will take you to the city, or failing that, will hide you in the mountains among his own people. See, here is a letter that he must read. I place it in your breast. And what of you, Masuda? I cried again. Of me, oh, it is all planned, a plan that cannot fail, she answered. Fear not, I escape tonight. I have no time to tell you how, and will join you in a day or two. 
Also, I think that you will find Sir Godwin, who will bring you home to England. But Wolf, what of Wolf? I asked again. He is doomed to die, and I will not leave him. The living and the dead can keep no company, she answered. Moreover, I have seen him, and all this is done by his most urgent order. If you love him, he bids that you will obey. I never saw Masuda. I never spoke such words. I knew nothing of this plot, exclaimed Wolf, and the brethren looked at each other with white faces. Speak on, said Godwin. Afterwards we can debate. Moreover, continued Rosamond, bowing her head, Masuda added these words, I think that Sir Wolf will escape his doom. If you would see him again, obey his word, for unless you obey you can never hope to look upon him living. Go now before we are both discovered, which would mean your death and mine, who, if you go, am safe. How knew she that I should escape? asked Wolf. She did not know it. She only said she knew to force Rosamond away, answered Godwin in the same strained voice. And then? And then, oh, having Wolf's express commands, then I went, like one in a dream. I remember little of it. At the door we kissed and parted weeping, and while the guard bowed before her, she blessed me beneath her breath. A soldier stepped forward and said, Follow me, daughter of Sinan. And I followed him, none taking any note, for at that hour, although perhaps you did not see it in your prisons, a strange shadow passed across the sun, of which all folk were afraid, thinking that it portended evil, either to Saladin or Ascalon. In the gloom we came to a place where was an old Arab among some trees, and with him two led horses. The soldiers spoke to the Arab, and I gave him Masuda's letter, which he read. Then he put me on one of the led horses, and the soldier mounted the other, and we departed at a gallop. All that evening and last night we rode hard, but in the darkness the soldier left us, and I do not know whither he went. At length we came to that mountain shoulder and waited there, resting the horses and eating food which the Arab had with him, till we saw the embassy, and among them two tall knights. See, said the old Arab, yonder come the brethren whom you seek. See and give thanks to Allah and to Masuda, who has not lied to you, and to whom I must now return. O oh, my heart wept as though it would burst, and I wept in my joy, wept and blessed God and Masuda. But the Arab, son of the sand, told me that for my life's sake, I must be silent, and keep myself close-veiled and disguised, even from you, until we reach Jerusalem, lest, perhaps, if they knew me, the embassy might refuse escort to the princess of Baalbek and niece of Saladin, or even give me up to him. Then I promised and asked, what of Masuda? He said that he rode back at speed to save her also, as had been arranged and that was why he did not take me to Jerusalem himself. But how that was to be done he was not sure as yet. Only he was sure that she was hidden away safely, and would find a way of escape when she wished it. And, 
and you know the rest. And here, by the grace of God, we three are together again. Eh, said Godwin, but where is Masuda? And what will happen to her who has dared to venture such a plot as this? Oh, know you what this woman did? I was condemned to die in place of wolf. How does not matter? You will learn it afterwards. And the princess of Baalbek was brought to say me farewell. There, under the very eyes of Saladin, Masuda played her part and mimicked you so well that the sultan was deceived, and I, even I, was deceived. Yes, when for the first and last time I embraced her, I was deceived. Although it is true, I wondered. Also since then a great fear has been with me, although here again I was deceived, for I thought I feared for you. Now hark you wolf, Take Rosamond and lodge her with some lady in the city, or better still, place her in sanctuary with the nuns of the Holy Cross, whence none will dare to drag her, and let her don their habit. The abbess may remember you, for we have met her, and at least she will not refuse Rosamond a refuge. Yes, yes, I mind me she asked us news of folk in England, but you... Where do you go, Godwin? said his brother. I? I ride back to Ascalon to find Masuda. Why? asked Wolf. Cannot Masuda save herself, as she told her uncle the Arab she would do? And has he not returned thither to take her away? I do not know, answered Godwin. But this I do know, that for the sake of Rosamond, and perhaps for my sake also, Masuda has run a fearful risk. Bethink you, what will be the mood of Saladin when at length he finds that she upon whom he had built such hopes has gone, leaving a waiting woman decked out in her attire? Oh, broke in Rosamond, I feared it, but I awoke to find myself disguised, and she persuaded me that all was well. Also that this was done by the will of Wolf, whom she thought would escape. That is the worst of if, said Godwin. To carry out her plan, she held it necessary to lie. As I think she lied when she said that she believed we should both escape. Though it is true that so it came about. I will tell you why she lied. It was that she might give her life to set you free, to join me in Jerusalem. Now Rosamond, who knew the secret of Masuda's heart, looked at him strangely, wondering within herself how it came about that thinking Wolf dead or about to die, she should sacrifice herself that she, Rosamond, might be sent to the care of Godwin. Surely it could not be for love of her, although they loved each other well. From love of Godwin then, how strange a way to show it. Yet now she began to understand. So true and high was this great love of Masuda's, that for Godwin's sake she was ready to hide herself in death, leaving him. Now that, as she thought, his rival was removed, to live on with the lady whom he loved. Eh, and at the price of her own life, 
giving that lady to his arms. Oh, how noble must she be who could thus plan and act, and whatever her past had been, how pure and high of soul! Surely if she lived, earth had no grander woman, and if she were dead, heaven had won a saint indeed. Rosamond looked at Godwin, and Godwin looked at Rosamond, and there was understanding in their eyes, for now both of them saw the truth in all its glory and all its horrors. I think that I should go back also, said Rosamond. That shall not be, answered Wolf. Saladin would kill you for this flight, as he has sworn. That cannot be, added Godwin. Shall the sacrifice of blood be offered in vain? Moreover, it is our duty to prevent you. Rosamond looked at him again and stammered, If, if that dreadful thing has happened, Godwin, if the sacrifice, oh, what will it serve? Rosamond, I know not what has chanced. I go to see. I care not what may chance. I go to meet it. Through life, through death, and if there be need, through all the fires of hell, I ride on till I find Masuda and kneel to her in homage. And in love, claimed Rosamond, as though the words broke from her lips against her will. Mayhap, Godwin answered, speaking more to himself than to her. Then seeing the look upon his face, the set mouth and the flashing eyes, neither of them sought to stay him further. Farewell, my liege lady and cousin Rosamond, Godwin said. My part is played. Now I leave you in the keeping of God in heaven and of wolf on earth. Should we meet no more, my counsel is that you two wait here in Jerusalem and travel back to Steeple, there to live in peace, if it may be so. Brother Wolf, fare you well also. We part today for the first time, who from our birth have lived together and loved together and done many a deed together, some of which we can look back upon without shame. Go on your course rejoicing. Take the love and gladness that heaven has given you and living a good and Christian night, mindful of the end which draws on apace and of eternity beyond. O oh Godwin, speak not thus, said Wolf, for in truth it breaks my heart to hear such fateful words. Moreover, we do not part thus easily. Our lady here will be safe enough among the nuns, more safe than I can keep her. Give me an hour, and I will set her there and join you. Both of us owe a debt to Masuda, and it is not right that it should be paid by you alone. Nay, answered Godwin, look upon Rosamond, and think what is about to befall the city. Can you leave her at such a time? Then Wolf dropped his head, and trusting himself to speak no more words, Godwin mounted his horse, and without so much as looking back, rode into the narrow street and out through the gateway, till presently he was lost in the distance and the desert. Wolf and Rosamond watched him go in silence, for they were choked with tears. Little did I look to part with my brother thus, said Wolf at length in a thick and angry voice. By God's wounds, 
I had more gladly died at his side in battle than leave him to meet his doom alone. And leave me to meet my doom alone, murmured Rosamond, then added, Oh, I would that I were dead, who have lived to bring all this woe upon you both, and upon that great heart, Masuda. I say, Wolf, I would that I were dead. Likely enough the wish will be fulfilled before all is done, answered Wolf wearily. Only then I pray that I may be dead with you. For now, Rosamond, Godwin has gone, for ever as I fear, and you alone are left to me. Come, let us cease complaining, since to dwell upon these griefs cannot help us, and be thankful that for a while, at least, we are free. Follow me, Rosamond, and we will ride to this nunnery to find you shelter, if we may. So they rode on through the narrow streets that were crowded with scared people, for now the news was spread that the embassy had rejected the terms of Saladin. He had offered to give the city food and to suffer its inhabitants to fortify the walls and to hold them till the following Whitsuntide, if, should no help reach them, they would swear to surrender then. But they had answered that while they had life, they would never abandon the place where their God had died. So now war was before them, war to the end. And who were they that must bear its brunt? Their leaders were slain or captive. Their king was a prisoner. Their soldiers skeletons on the field of Khatin. Only the women and children, the sick, the old, and the wounded remained. Perhaps eighty thousand souls in all but few of whom could bear arms. Yet these few must defend Jerusalem against the might of the victorious Saracen. Little wonder that they wailed in the streets till the cry of their despair went up to heaven, for in their hearts all of them knew that the holy place was doomed and their lives were forfeited. Pushing their path through the sad multitude who took little note of them, at length they came to the nunnery on the sacred Via Dolorosa, which Wolf had seen when Godwin and he were in Jerusalem, after they had been dismissed by Saladin from Damascus. Its door stood in the shadow of that arch where the Roman pilot had uttered to all generations the words, Behold the man! Here the porter told him that the nuns were at prayer in their chapel. Wolf replied that he must see the Lady Abbas upon a matter which would not delay, and they were shown into a cool and lofty room. Presently the door opened, and through it came the Abbas in her white robes, a tall and stately Englishwoman of middle age who looked at them curiously. Lady Abbas, said Wolf, bowing low, my name is Wolf Darcy. Do you remember me? Yes, we met in Jerusalem before the Battle of Hatin, she answered. Also, I know something of your story in this land, a very strange one. This lady, went on Wolf, is the daughter and heiress of Sir Andrew Darcy, my dead uncle, and in Syria, the Princess of Baalbek and the niece of Saladin. The abbess started and asked, 
Is she then of the accursed faith, as her garb would seem to show? Nay, mother, said Rosamond, I am a Christian, if a sinful one, and I come here to seek sanctuary, lest when they know who I am, and he clamours at their gates, my fellow Christians may surrender me to my uncle, the Sultan. Tell me the story, said the abbess, and they told her briefly, while she listened amazed. When they had finished, she said, Alas, my daughter, how can we save you, whose own lives are at stake? That belongs to God alone. Still, what we can we will do gladly, and here, at least, you may rest for some short while. At the most holy altar of our chapel, you shall be given sanctuary, after which no Christian man dare lay a hand upon you, since to do so is a sacrilege that would cost him his soul. Moreover, I counsel that you be enrolled upon our books as a novice, and don our garb. Nay, she added with a smile, noting the look of alarm on the face of Wolf, the Lady Rosamond need not wear it always, unless such should be her wish. Not every novice proceeds to the final vows. Long have I been decked in gold-embroidered silks and priceless gems, answered Rosamond, and now I seem to desire that white robe of yours more than anything on earth. So they led Rosamond to the chapel, and in sight of all their order, and of priests who had been summoned, at the altar there, upon that holy spot where they said that once Christ had answered Pilate, they placed her hand and gave her sanctuary, and threw over her tired head the white veil of a novice. There too Wolf left her, and riding away reported himself to Balian of Ebelin, the elected commander of the city who was glad enough to welcome so stout a knight, where knights were few. Oh, weary, weary was that ride of Godwin's beneath the sun, beneath the stars. Behind him, the brother who had been his companion and closest friend, and the woman whom he had loved in vain, and in front he knew not what. What went he forth to seek? Another woman, who had risked her life for them, all because she loved him. And if he found her, what then? Must he wed her, and did he wish this? Nay, he desired no woman on the earth, yet what was right that he would do. And if he found her not, what then? Well, at least he would give himself up to Saladin, who must think ill of them, by whom he had dealt well and tell him that of this plot they had no knowledge. Indeed, to him he would go first, if it were but to beg forgiveness for Masuda, should she still be in his hands. Then, for he could not hope to be believed or pardoned a second time, then let death come, and he would welcome it, who greatly longed for peace. It was evening, and Godwin's tired horse 
stumbled slowly through the great camp of the Saracens without the walls of fallen Ascalon. None hindered him, for having been so long a prisoner he was known by many, while others thought that he was but one of the surrendered Christian knights. So he came to the great house where Saladin lodged, and bade the guard take his name to the sultan, saying that he craved audience of him. Presently he was admitted, and found Saladin seated in council among his ministers. Sir Godwin, he said sternly, seeing how you have dealt by me, what brings you back into my camp? I gave you brethren your lives, and you have robbed me of one whom I would not lose. We did not rob you, sire, answered Godwin. We knew nothing of this plot. Nevertheless, as I was sure that you would think thus, I am come from Jerusalem, leaving the princess and my brother there, to tell the truth and to surrender myself to you, that I may bear in her place any punishment which you think fit to inflict upon the woman Masuda. Why should you bear it? asked Saladin. Because, Sultan answered Godwin sadly and with bent head. Whatever she did, she did for love of me, though without my knowledge. Tell me, is she still here, or has she fled? She is still here, answered Saladin shortly. Would you wish to see her? Godwin breathed a sigh of relief. At least Masuda still lived and the terror that had struck him in the night was but an evil dream, born of his own fears and sufferings. I do, he answered, once, if no more, I have words to say to her. Doubtless she will be glad to learn how her plot prospered, said Saladin with a grim smile. In truth it was well laid and boldly executed. Calling to one of his council, that same old imam, who had planned the casting of the lots, the sultan spoke with him aside. Then he said, Let this knight be led to the woman, Masuda. Tomorrow we will judge him. Taking a silver lamp from the wall, the imam beckoned to Godwin, who bowed to the sultan and followed. As he passed wearily through the throng in the audience room, it seemed to Godwin that the emirs and captains gathered there looked at him with pity in their eyes. So strong was this feeling in him that he halted in his walk and asked, Tell me, Lord, do I go to my death? All of us go thither, answered Saladin in the silence. But Allah has not written that death is yours tonight. They passed down long passages they came to a door which the imam, who hobbled in front, unlocked. She is under ward then, said Godwin. Eh, was the answer. Under ward, enter. And he handed him the lamp. I remain without. Perchance she sleeps and I shall disturb her, said Godwin, as he hesitated upon the threshold. Did you not say she loved you? Then doubtless, even if she sleeps, 
She who has dwelt at Masyaf will not take your visit ill, who have ridden so far to find her, said the imam with a sneering laugh. Enter, I say. So Godwin took the lamp and went in, and the door was shut behind him. Surely the place was familiar to him. He knew that arched roof and these rough stone walls, why it was here that he had been brought to die, and through that very door the false Rosamond had come to bid him farewell, who now returned to greet her in the same darksome den. Well, it was empty. Doubtless she would soon come, and he waited, looking at the door. It did not stir. He heard no footsteps. Nothing broke that utter silence. He turned again and stared about him. Something glinted on the ground yonder, towards the end of the vault, just where he had knelt before the executioner. A shape lay there. Doubtless it was Masuda, imprisoned and asleep. Masuda, he said, and the sounding echoes from the arched walls answered back, Masuda. He must awaken her. There is no choice. Yes, it was she, asleep, and she still wore the royal robes of Rosamond, and a clasp of Rosamond's still glittered on her breast. How sound Masuda slept. Would she never wake? He knelt down beside her and put out his hand to lift the long hair that hid her face. Now it touched her, and lo, the head fell over. Then with horror in his heart, Godwin held down the lamp and looked. Oh, those robes were red, and those lips were ashen. It was Masuda, whose spirit had passed him in the desert. Masuda, slain by the headsman's sword. This was the evil jest that had been played upon him, and thus, thus they met again. Godwin rose to his feet and stood over her still shape as a man stands in a dream, while words broke from his lips and a fountain in his heart was unsealed. Masuda, he whispered, I know now that I love you and you only, henceforth and forever. A woman with a royal heart. Wait for me, Masuda, wherever you may dwell. While the whispered words left his lips, it seemed to Godwin that once more, as when he rode with Wolf from Ascalon, the strange wind blew about his brow, bringing with it the presence of Masuda, and that once more the unearthly peace sank into his soul. Then all was past and over, and he turned to see the old imam standing at his side. Did I not tell you that you would find her sleeping? He said with his bitter, chuckling laugh. Call on her, Sir Knight, call on her. Love, they say, can bridge great gulfs, even that between severed neck and bosom. With a silver lamp in his hand, Godwin smote, and the man went down like a felled ox, leaving him once more in silence and in darkness. For a moment Godwin stood thus, till his brain was filled with fire, and he too fell, fell across the corpse of Masuda, and lay there still. End of chapter 21